Welcome back to That's Gotta Be Wrestling, the wrestling review podcast. The. I, the, damn it. I am your host, Olivia, and with me, as always, is the illustrious, the, what was what was your wrestling name? Uh, Tommy Gunn. Tommy Gunn. Uh, there was also another one, too, though. Tommy Glam. Tommy I, Glam, I yeah, there we go. Hell yeah. Guy. Um, this week, we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, we are starting a new series called The Life Of... It is a retrospective series focused on exploring the life and careers of various professional wrestlers. My intention with this new series is to provide a varied perspective on what would be considered well-known stories. As someone who studied history in college, I took many courses in gender and sexuality, and within these courses, I was surprised by the freedom in which I was granted to study wrestling as a part of my independent research, um, which was a ton of fun. Uh, not only was I bringing in a taboo subject into the academia world, something that's not normally studied um, in history, and when, especially when it comes to the history of gender and sexuality, uh, but the documents that I was able to access and read as a part of my research allowed me to expand my knowledge as a lifelong wrestling fan, which was also pretty cool. Uh, by looking at these performers from this unique perspective, I hope to discuss these people uh, with a critical but kind lens. I think what gets lost when discussing these people is the fact that, well, they're real people. Regardless of their larger-than-life personas, they create and oh, excuse me, these larger-than-life personas that they create in the ring uh, that then bleed into their real life, at the end of the day, we are doing these people a disservice if we do not humanize them. I do want to give a quick warning, however, uh, as the subject matter we are about to discuss today uh, contains top topics and subjects of uh, murder, suicide, drug abuse, and other subject matter of the like, and listener discretion is definitely advised with this one. They won't always be like this, but the one we're particularly talking about today is a particularly heavy subject, something that's kind of intense, so um, please leave now if you don't want to listen to any of that. So yeah, um, before we get into the story of Chris Benoit, who we're talking about today, go ahead and check us out on Instagram at That's Gotta Be Wrestling. That is our podcast hub where you'll be able to find updates about the show when we go live, as well as some other great content like some bad wrestling memes, which are always great. In addition, if you like it, listen to us on Spotify, go ahead and just give us a follow on there. Uh, also, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, leave us a review because it definitely helps us out. This podcast is definitely a passion project of ours. And we're so thankful for all the support we've received thus far. Um, it really means a lot. Just uh, So we just want to thank you for your continued support of this little podcast of ours. So, yeah, like I said, to start this series off, I want to take a deep dive into the infamous life and death of Chris Benoit. Um, and before I go any further, Tommy, are you are you excited about this? Are you nervous to talk about this? What did, what did you think when I was like, hey, I want to do this series and I want to start off with Chris Benoit? <laughs> yeah, it's always tricky talking about Chris Benoit he is I'd argue the most polarizing figure in wrestling because of the unfortunate atrocities he committed in the last couple of days of his life um but also on the flip side considered easily one of the best wrestlers of all time um and it's it's undeniable I mean there's no if you separate the man from the art or the art from the man um he's one of the greatest to ever step into a ring while also being a complete Monster, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> I am quite familiar with Chris Benoit, especially being someone who grew up watching wrestling in the 90s and 2000s from his work in ECW, WCW, and then, of course, WWF slash WWE. He was always a favorite of mine. He was 
ironically kind of that guy that was just like you do not want to step in the ring with him because he's gonna kill you yeah <laughs> but in like you know the fun wrestling kind of way and then oh no 2007 came along and he really ended up doing the things that we will get into shortly but i mean i don't well i guess i'll wait to what i think about his kind of ranking into sort of hall of fames and lists of great wrestlers ever at the end of the the show once we get through everything but yeah, I mean, there's no denying how amazing of a talent he was, how good of a person he was up until all that as well. I mean, you see people like Chris Jericho, um, Bret Hart, Chavo Guerrero, even when he was alive, Eddie Guerrero speaking, Vicky Guerrero speaking nothing but like great things of this man. And then they can't really do that anymore, which yeah. is unfortunate more so for them because they were close to them. They were his brothers, his, you know, his people that he were with all the time. But yeah, let's get into... Absolutely. So this one's going to just be a little bit different from our usual um, pace of the show. We're going to go into more of like a storytelling type mode, um, which I do want to preface that uh, um, there has been some documentaries that have come out about Chris Benoit in particular. Um, and just some things that, uh, that, that they touched on that I don't feel is necessary to touch upon. Um, for example, uh, Tommy and I a while back. I think about a year ago, watched the Dark Side of the Ring episodes on Chris Benoit, and that one's really seemed to focus on his relationship with Eddie Guerrero, and then also um, his just mental state in particular. Um, I don't, I, I do like sort of touch on those, but I do want to preface that uh, I'm not perfect. I'm not going to be able to include everything that they've included. Um, you know, I would highly recommend going and seeing those episodes and in fact, watching all of those episodes, if you're interested, um, and more so of the topics that, uh, wrestling fans normally don't talk about unless it's brought up to them. Um, and definitely something that WWE, formerly known as WWF, uh, definitely, uh, <laughs> definitely stays away from. So without further ado, I'm going to get started. Yes, ma'am. So I'm going to give you my reasoning as to why I wanted to do this. So I wanted to start this series with a highly contested subject. Um, at, such as Chris Benoit, um, because he is one of the most infamous professional wrestlers in modern history. He was both equally beloved during his life and heavily criticized after his death. I want to start with this story as I feel it is very personal to me, as this one was the first significant memories I had as a wrestling fan. And as a young kid, his death happened right around the time that I would really, really gotten into wrestling and was watching it weekly. Um, and I was moved not only by like the shock value that accompanied the headlines, because... Um, also at that time as a kid, I was like super into pop culture and really kept up with that. So it was equally as shocking as a wrestling fan, but also as someone who was heavily into pop culture. Um, but also by how misunderstood I felt his life was. While everyone was entrapped in demonizing this man, I felt as a young kid that there was so much more to the story. And I still stand by the t that today, and I, I definitely think that there is. So without further ado, let's get started. <clears throat> Chris Benoit was born May 21st, 1967 in Montreal, Quebec, Canada, to Michael and Margaret Benoit. He grew up in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, where he would eventually join the likes of the Hart family and their company, which was called Stampede Wrestling. Uh, I'm pretty sure we're all familiar with that. <laughs> you can, if you ever get a chance, sorry to interrupt, go back and watch some Stampede Wrestling stuff, which I think a little bit of it's on the network, but yeah. you can also find it on like various Hart DVDs and whatnot. Right. Man, that stuff was really good. Oh, for sure. Uh, in 1989, Benoit moved his career to New Japan Pro Wrestling after Stampede Wrestling had closed its doors. 
And after acquiring a few championships wrestling in Mexico, Japan, Europe, and even holding the WWF light heavyweight title for over a year, Benoit finally made his debut in WCW in 1992, briefly, to compete for the NWA Tag Team Championships, but he lost. Uh, He didn't make an appearance in the company again until 1993, where he made appearances on Clash of the Champions, uh, 22, and Super Brawl 3. He didn't remain a constant on WCW as he began working in ECW in 1994 uh, in between his Japan tours. During this time, he actually accidentally broke Sabu's neck. Um, If you don't know who Sabu is, Sabu was one of the top stars in ECW at the time. And this happened within seconds of their match. Uh, It was said that Benoit felt very panicked over potentially paralyzing somebody. However, the company, and specifically Paul Heyman, the head of the company at the time, looked at this as not only a lesson learned, but a situation to be capitalized upon, as he was then coined as Crippler Benoit, which, looking back, (laughs) eerily set the precedent for the way Chris would be treated in his career. Yeah, I mean, the dude is known for being pretty safe. Accidents, of course, do happen, such as this one, but it ended up in a weird twist of fate, not to coin in that hearty term, um, kind of skyrocketed his career a little more because uh, and Sabu never held any ill will against him which I think is really big of the dude um but yeah I mean it was just like oh he was a really good wrestler and blah 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 oh I broke a dude's neck and now you're kind of a star which is right bad but also really good yeah I mean it not only tells you what sort of climate that wrestling uh had during that time but also it's it's gotta be pretty traumatizing to break somebody's neck like that and be so worked up and set upset over it and then to have literally the people that you're employed by telling you oh not only is it okay it's, it's not a problem but uh this is gonna make you like really su- super successful so um that's not only gonna be like super traumatizing but like really confusing well, well also because uh, i know we'll do an owen hart episode of this absolutely down the line um Owen Hart also had something similar happen. He broke Stone Cold Steve Austin's neck, and then he, you know, started kind of (laughs) making a whole storyline out of it, which is insanely strange to me. Yeah. And so as his career progressed, he made waves in the wrestling industry, diving back into WCW in the late 1990s. And during this time, Chris gained more accolades, championships, and also this is where he met Nancy Sullivan, a.k.a. Woman, who would eventually become his wife. However, after years of working in the company of WCW, Chris became dissatisfied with his role and then made the jump to WWF slash WWE in the year 2000. Uh, He would then go on to feud with the likes of Eddie Guerrero, somebody that would become one of his dearest friends. So can I I throw in something? Absolutely. Do you know how he started dating Nancy Sullivan? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I didn't include that. But basically what happened was... uh, he was written to the storyline where, um, I don't remember... Kevin Sullivan. Kevin it Sullivan, It was Nancy Sullivan's you. real yeah. life husband. So Kevin Sullivan wrote the storyline where Nancy was supposed to cheat on him, quote-unquote, with Chris Benoit. And what happened, you know, what began as a storyline then eventually turned into real life. Right. So, uh, and the, the really funny and ironic thing about all this is, is Sullivan was just like have her live with you, have her go on dates with you outside of this, so yeah. it looks really real. And some weird... I mean, this... Kevin Sullivan is known for a pretty good booker having some really weird stuff in his time, like such as the Dungeon of Doom, which yeah. I would love to talk about eventually. <laughs> but he pretty much 
wrote his own divorce, which I think is yeah. kind of strange. Yeah. And I know looking back on this, he hasn't spoken too much on the Benoit thing, but he has regretted it because he said in some weird way, she might still be alive if not for this, which it's like, yeah, yeah. but I also at the same like... time, how <laughs> like you can't really blame yourself for that, man. Like, right. It's not your fault. Yeah. Although that seems like very, it, that sounds very much like a savior complex. And that was, <laughs> that was also another part that was mentioned heavily in the dark side of the ring where they talked about how, um, basically, you know, when Nancy was married to Kevin versus when she was married to Chris, that it was sort of night and day. Um, that they had, you know, briefly mentioned that Kevin may have been, you know, a little abusive, you know, whether it be verbally or physically. And I didn't really want to get into that right. all that much because then, of course... We're not we talking about that, Kevin Well, Sullivan. exactly. But then we lead to that point of him being like, oh, well, if, the, if I hadn't written them in that storyline, then they would have never gotten together. And then she would, you know, probably still be alive. And it's like, well, you know, first of all, yeah, you can't blame yourself for that. But then also it makes you sound... I don't know, he's sort of giving himself this self-importance that doesn't exist. Yeah, no, um, I agree. Because I feel like either way, whether they were written into a storyline or not, I feel like if there wasn't an attraction between them regardless, then that would have happened eventually anyways. Right. So, he, I, I don't know, like I said, he's given himself a little bit of a self-importance <laughs> in this whole story. <laughs> I agree. Um, also, you mentioned his last days in WCW. So, he, amongst... Many other people, such as... Th- they called them the cruiserweights, which were yeah. like, the smaller guys right. who were easily the most talented in WCW, oh, for by sure. the way. But they were small. They could never beat the big guy. So it's like him, Eddie Guerrero, Chris Jericho, Dean Malenko, Rey Mysterio, people like that. Um, they weren't really given the opportunity. But finally, Bret Hart got in someone's ear. and was just like, dude, Chris Benoit is amazing. He's yeah. like me, um, but younger. So they put the WCW championship on him in January 2000. But at that point... Not only did was he just burn out of WCW and wanted to change the scenery, but he also kind of saw the writing on the wall oh, totally. of where this company was going. Yeah. So he won the championship and then vacated it yeah. and <laughs> moved to WWF, I believe, like a week or two later. So he was a WCW champion for a couple weeks. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's like so important to sort of like mention his life, you know, not only to humanize him, but I feel like... A lot of times people just want to focus on what he did in the last days of his life. And I just want to give you all these different examples of not only his professionalism, but his kindness and his ability to, you know, be like not only a really smart wrestler, but then also somebody who really cared about the people that he worked with and not only cared about the people that he worked with, but then also his family and his friends and you know, so I just want to paint this picture that this sort of situation that we're going to mention later um, doesn't just happen overnight. It's not something that, you know, just exists in some sort of void. Uh, you know, this is somebody who was very clearly had a very su- successful career and had a great life. And, you know, there are just a few factors that unfortunately when you know, concocted together creates this awful sort of situation and, you know, changes people. Mm-hmm. So... Um, without that, I'm going to, I'm going to continue. So if it sounds like Benoit's career, uh, accelerated quickly, it's because it did hugely popular despite his size. Chris was one of the most technically skilled in the business over the course of his career. He would obtain 22 championships with the pinnacle of his career in 2004 when he won the world heavyweight title. This is no surprise as Benoit was globally recognized for his accomplishments as a top tier performer in the ring and a leading mentor in the locker room. Yes, and this was what I feel was like, uh, 2004 especially was the height of his career, but everything before that was really 
great as well. I mean, he had he wasn't thrown into the world title picture right away. He had like a brief feud with The Rock and yeah. Triple H, but then kind of went to the mid card IC title thing, which was I think the best case for him because he was introduced, well reintroduced to Chris Jericho, which those two <laughs> could put on a great match in their sleep. Yeah. But also introduced to Kurt Angle, mm-hmm. which is. Also one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. So you had these cracking matches with Angle and Benoit when they were... Benoit was learning the WWF style and Kurt Angle was still coming into his own in the WWF. And then all these matches with Jericho, some matches with Eddie Guerrero. Benoit had some pretty good matches with other lower tier guys such as uh, Billy Gunn, uh, Perry Saturn, Test, who like... It's really hard to get a good match out of Test. (laughs) And then unfortunately in 2001 when he was actually going to start feuding with like Stone Cold over the WWF championship he uh messed up his neck again pretty badly he broke his neck again and was out for over a year so I don't know if you remember 2001 um I know you weren't watching wrestling at the time but that is the time when WCW was bought and the invasion storyline happened so Benoit could have been a big name in that whole scenario but unfortunately his neck was broken he couldn't wrestle and he missed that entire thing. Came back during the Ruthless Aggression era, won some more IC and United States Championships. And then in 2004, had an amazing triple threat match with Shawn Michaels and Triple H at WrestleMania 20, I believe. Yes. And I would argue, even though you cannot see this on the network anymore, they've completely cut it out. But him and Eddie Guerrero, best friends, were world champion and WWE champion at the same time. And they had a great celebration at the end of it. The only way to really watch this, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube, but there's no like the old DVDs of mm-hmm. it now because the network has completely cut it out. Yeah, and it's kind of crazy too when you think about that. And this is why I, you know, as somebody who like loves history and wants to look at it in, you know, at least some sort of critical lens, despite the subject or, um, you know, the type of lens in which you look at it in, is that it's so important to understand the context in which why WWE has felt the need to basically rewrite this history. Um, Because even when you go on the network today, and, you know, the network will shortly become a part of Peacock, but um, as somebody who has had the network for a few years now, I can definitively say that if you want to watch the matches that they haven't cut out of pay-per-views, because it's quite literally to go back and impossible to go back and, like, cut all these matches out, um, when you look at the like timestamps along like the the runners for all of the like pay-per-views um his name will not be mentioned no. but then when you like actually get to the match and you like you see him there it's almost like seeing like this weird ghost in a way because you know they've they've done so much work to you know untangle themselves from Chris Benoit mm-hmm. but um you can't completely do that and right. so it's like crazy to me like like you just mentioned that they would just completely cut out an entire match because the the um, timestamps are weird too because it'll say like Chris Jericho and in an Intercontinental title match yeah or and like if, Randy Orton defends his title yeah. and it won't say like who against right and it's really sad well we'll get into it a little more but um some of the other stuff he was able to do after this well I'll get into the things they cut out after we talk about his death but he, even after he lost the world title, he was still in the main event for yeah. the most part. He helped Edge really come into his own as like the greatest heel of the 20th century, 21st century, I'd say. Um, he skyrocketed people like Mr. Kennedy to stardom, Carlito, MVP, who MVP says my career would not have been what it is without Chris Benoit, which yeah. is kind of sad to think. It's really sad. Well, because then you think about how much WWE and 
particularly, you know, commentators when they say, like, oh, this wrestler, you know, their whole career was inspired by, like, Eddie Guerrero, or, right. you know, this move was inspired by Rey Mysterio, and, um, you know, to have, you know, Chris Benoit sh- sort of shape the careers for all of these stars that we know today, for them to not even be able to speak on that and be like, oh, well, I mean, I wouldn't have the career that I have, I wouldn't have the skill set that I have if right. it wasn't for Chris. Well, there's also uh, a little guy known as Daniel Bryan who wrestles almost <laughs> exactly like Chris Benoit. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, I mean, if Chris Benoit was still alive, we'd be like, Daniel Bryan is a lot like Chris Benoit, but now yeah. everyone's like, let's, let's not. Right. And which is why I go back to my point of it being so dangerous dangerous to you know try you know for the good or the worse like to completely cut somebody out of you know this whole you know universe basically is just kind of insane to me because I I I hate it when because I mean you kind of have to take this as a wrestling fan and somebody who particularly watches WWE and like will go back and like watch you know old pay-per-views and stuff like that like there are a multitude of people who I would consider, you know, have having done or said, you know, things that are almost as bad, if not worse, than, you know, what Chris Benoit did in the final days of his life. So it's just really weird to see them sort of, you know, put this protective blanket over certain performers. Yeah, exactly. That one being, like, the prime <laughs> example of these people I mean, who, Jimmy Snuka. Exactly, yeah. Literally killed somebody, right? <laughs> And, you know, for WWE to basically just sort of, you know, turn the other cheek and just, like, look the other way, it's just, it's it's insane to me. But then, of course, because this was the most highly publicized issue, and, you know, WWE was still coming out from underneath the fire that they received um, during the Attitude Era and just trying to, you know, kind of breach past, like, those issues. Um, And then for this to happen, it was just kind of... You know, another knock on WWE. But again, like I said, they they protect certain people, but then just like throw other people to the wolves, which right. is crazy to me. Uh, or to the Wolverines, if you will. <laughs> One last point I want to make because it's actually going to tie into what your next paragraph says. So, his last storyline was supposed to be the revamp of ECW, yeah, um, which went on Sci-Fi, and it was okay the first year until it wasn't. But they were going to try and bump it up again by having Chris Benoit get drafted to the show. And they had this tournament where eventually him and CM Punk were the last two, and they would wrestle at Vengeance Night of Champions 2007 for the vacant ECW championship, which, by the way, is just not only a lost opportunity, because imagine Chris Benoit versus CM Punk, how good that match would have been. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But that didn't end up happening for obvious reasons, which uh, you will now obviously get into. Yeah, absolutely. So, um... Let me, let me pull this back up here. So, uh, you know, a you know, great career we've mentioned. Uh, this all came crashing down a few short years later uh, because on June fifth, two thousand, uh, June 25th, 2007, police were called Benoit's home in Fayetteville, Georgia, to do a welfare check on him after missing weekend events um, for WWE, obviously, the following week. Um, police arrived to the home at about 2.30 p.m. to discover the bodies of his wife, Nancy, uh, Daniel, his son, and then Benoit himself. And initially, they thought that. Um, well, I'll 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 give this one to you. Do you want to explain what they thought and then what they what they came to the conclusion for afterwards? Um. So initially, they thought it was just a murder, like someone had broken in. I mean, they didn't really know what to think at first. Right. Um, and WWE especially thought, well, these people are dead, and we have a Monday Night Raw to do, so we need to. We need to just scrap our plans and do 
if Ben watch every show. It was around the time that Raw was in its first like thirty minutes yeah. that people were like, "Yeah, so he did this," and you know, at that point, Raw's already in its hour first hour of television programming with all these people saying great words about Chris Benoit, yeah. all these people saying like how he was the greatest, showing old matches of his, some of his best moments. Except ironically, William Regal who was just like, he had a very dark persona that we don't know about, and I could see it at the tail end of his career. But he, he didn't say it like that. But those were kind of the words he's implying if you go yeah. back and rewatch it. And it's really kind of strange to think. But um, the police did initially think it was just a murder, and then as the pieces are kind of coming all together, they realize it's a murder-suicide. You know, his son Daniel, his seven-year-old son, and Nancy, who I believe was in her mid-40s, I don't know her age off the top of my head, unfortunately, uh, had been killed. Um, Nancy was first. She was uh, pretty much smothered to death or choked to death by him, which, I mean, he was a short dude, but he was a big dude, So and she was very small. She unfortunately had no chance. And then the next day, Daniel was um, given an absorbent amount of sediments and then um, also kind of suffocated with a pillow, and what Chris Benoit did was the next day went down to his weight room and hung him, put the weight in and hung himself on his weights, which just like could not have been comfortable. <laughs> but apparently he Googled it was the most quick and efficient way to hang yourself. So, I mean, God only knows what kind of pain he felt or if he was even in the right state of mind to feel that pain. Yeah, but, absolutely. Yeah. And, and then, uh, oh, sorry. The last thing I was going to say was the raw storyline that was supposed to happen that I think is just such a strange twist of irony in a weird way is that the week before Vince McMahon had been killed I put that in quotations he went to his he was just having a really bad day went to his limousine and then it blew up and he was dead essentially and then this raw was supposed to be you know a remembrance of Vince McMahon his eulogy um um Bruce Campbell from the Evil Dead fame was supposed to be his like uh the guy giving his eulogy, and it was supposed to be, like, this big kind of hammy thing, and it was supposed to be, like, you know, fun. Like, oh, Vince Man's dead. What are we going to do? And then Vince Man appears on the TV. He's like, listen, I'm not actually dead, obviously, because we have this really important matter to discuss. Um, and then by Tuesday, they were like, all right, fuck Chris Benoit. Um, all this stuff happened. So this will be the last... Like, Vince Man came back on television on Tuesday before ECW and said, this is the last time I will ever say his name. And honestly, it probably is. I don't know if he's ever said it, at least on television. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I didn't include a lot of information just about his death, not only because recapping it is pretty intense and pretty hard, but uh, I feel like that this part of the story is something that everyone is most familiar with. And I feel like, you know, kind of dredging through it once again, not only doesn't do, you know, his family or him any justice, but... uh, you know, it's definitely something that we've all heard before. So I do want to talk a little bit about the aftermath of this event, just because, um, you know, like, you know, like Tommy said before, of the events that immediately followed his death. But um, we went back and we watched some interviews that included um, some of his closest friends, including Chris Jericho. Um, and there was basically this panel um, that all of them went on to on Larry King to discuss, uh, you know, Chris Benoit, his life and his death. So, um, yeah, without further ado, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna get into that. So, Chris Jericho, one of Benoit's closest friends, went on Larry King to defend his friend, along with John Cena and Bret Hart, 
all stating that this behavior and the events that happened was totally uncharacteristic of Benoit. Um, as you said before, Tommy, not everyone agreed with that because, you know, like you said, William Regal definitely um, felt that there was this other side to him that not a lot of people were exposed to. Uh, they, but all of these men went on the record to say that he was kind, stoic, and a leading professional who cared and loved for his family dearly. And this Larry King interview didn't really do the sort of justice that I felt was needed for not only the wrestling community, but for um, Benoit's family as well, because this was, again, just another reason for the media to sort of point fingers at WWE and their encouragement of steroids. And I I just want to go on record and say that, uh, well, in this instance, I don't think that it was necessarily steroids that were just like the leading cause of, you know, you know, causing Benoit to do the actions that he did. But uh, I, I do want to say that, you know, steroids are definitely very prevalent in the wrestling community, uh, especially, you know, right before Chris Benoit's career and then during his career as well. Of course, anybody that is an executive or um, had a leading role in WWE at the time would, you know, argue otherwise. However, um, this is definitely something that is, especially is very influential within, um, you know, the men's roster and uh yeah it's just uh so I would say that you know while it is definitely prevalent in the in the wrestling community and in WWE particularly um this is something that uh this is a situation that the media again used to uh basically sort of brush all of this under the rug and you know put package it neatly and put a bow on it um and I think that it's just a little bit more complicated than that uh, so while initially reporting on this tragic event point, uh, the finger at steroid used to explain Benoit's actions, an autopsy of his brain proved otherwise. The autopsy conducted concluded that there was evidence of CTE in all four regions of Benoit's brain. It was reported that he had so much evident brain damage that his 40-year-old brain represented that of an 85-year-old Alzheimer patient. In 2007, Science Daily reported that there was an excess of tau protein in all four regions of the brain, which is a telltale indication of CTE damage to the brain. As a result, this type of brain damage can lead to cognitive impairment and dementia. Chris Jericho later discussed this on his own podcast, saying that he believes that the brain damage Benoit sustained likely led to his actions, stating... I would say, if I'm talking rationally, I would say concussions. I would say the same thing uh, that happened with, uh, I don't know how to pronounce the same, Junior Xiao? I believe it's Xiao, yeah. Okay, and all these type of guys, uh, nothing makes sense about it. It could be concussions, it could be rage, it could be demonic possession for all I know. There's really no closure on that. Yeah, unfortunately the Junior Xiao thing was very uh, prevalent during the... um, Oh, God, what was the name? I should know it, too, since I was a Patriots fan. The guy who was on the Patriots, and he ended up killing that one dude and then killed himself. Um, forgive me if I can't remember his name. Um, he is also kind of not ever brought up again for obvious reasons. But, yeah, I mean, it's very similar very similar things. And Chris Jericho even said, and you have the note here, um, being in the wrestling community right now would be like being in football during the OJ trial. Because... One person does something and the entire organization or the entire, you know, group of people is apparently at fault for it, which I just think is absolutely disgusting. Like, you cannot blame 
an entire group of people for one thing. We kind of deal with that in this country a lot. But, you know, it's pretty just, it's it's amazing how, like, similar these two stories can be. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really interesting to sort of look at this in a modern lens today. Um, because although The Dark Side of the Ring did touch upon... Um, the idea of, you know, CTE and concussions and significant brain damage leading to um, Benoit's particular actions. Um, they didn't, they sort of like glazed over the whole fact. And um, for a moment, if I make, you know, sort of a comparison, it's like when people discuss, um, you know, climate change and global warming and, you know, fail to consider the fact that like factory farming is like a huge, um, you know, reason as to why we're experiencing um, the rising temperatures in our climate that we're, you know, experiencing and the uh, destruction and deforestation of the very land that we live on. And so I think that in this case, it's the same thing where, you know, we want to have this whole conversation about, uh, you know, really taking care of athletes and making sure that they're in the right headspace and uh, making sure that they're in a very productive and, you know, nonviolent environment. Um, we very often, especially even today in wrestling, we very much neglect the idea that, you know, concussions and CTE and the significant trauma that they take to their head and their brains um, can have some sort of effect on, like, the rest of their life. And although we've, you know, encapsulated that in, you know, other sports worlds, like the NFL, where the NFL has taken not only, like, you know, verbal responsibility, but financial responsibility, um, we don't see that in, in wrestling, for example. And I think that it's really interesting because, you know, I, I think we were having this discussion as we were, you know, sort of putting this episode together. And um, I was saying about how, like, I, I don't remember who basically, you know, who essentially was quoted on this, but they were basically saying that it's really interesting to me that the NFL was able to take that sort of accountability. And even um, the NHL was able to take um, responsibility for athletes and their, you know, concussions and, you know, the, the medical treatment that they would have to receive afterwards and basically explaining that the, them being in these types of careers are the reason that they um, need so much, you know, physical therapy and, you know, medication and, and, mental, and, health. and mental health in the, the years following. And more often than not, they have very shortened lifespans, whether it be because they take their own life or because... Um, certain actions that are caused by this brain damage, for example, you know, alcohol and drug addiction leading to, you know, the ending of their life. So it's really interesting to see a company such as the NFL and NHL take accountability, um, and mostly in a court setting, uh, but nonetheless accountability um, for, you know, actions that are, they're indirectly responsible because not only are do they set the rules and regulations, but um, in I hate to, for lack of a better term, in natural sports like that, where things aren't predetermined, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's where that indirectness comes from because they can't control everything that happens right. in the rink or on the field. But if with a 300-pound linebacker is coming at you, there's only so much you can do. But in wrestling, exactly. you're supposed to take care of your opponent. That's the whole point. It's ballet and yeah. spandex is what some people Well, not call only it. that, but, you know, everything from the type of ring gear that you're supposed to wear to... Um, you know, the, the ring itself and how safe and protective that is to um, basically essentially being able to pre-plan out every, almost, almost, I'm going to say almost because it's not every move, but almost every single move that happens in the ring, especially in today's wrestling, um, that's all pre-planned and that's all predetermined. Yeah. And 
Um, so I think that for, you know, a company like WWE to not take that sort of accountability in the way that other companies have, is not only a slap in the face to the very people that they, you know, hire and the very people that work for them, um, but is also a slap in the face to all of the wrestlers who have, you know, suffered and have had shortened lives because right. of the damage that they've taken within the ring. Yeah, and I mean, I've got two major points on that. Like, one, Chris Jericho himself has said he's lost so many friends being in this business. Yeah. Because, I mean, in his first book, which came out in, like, November 2007, there's an entire page of friends that he's lost. And that came out 14 years ago. Um, so so I imagine, imagine how it's longer. It's grown, Yeah. <laughs> Um, people with just shortened lives or people that have died so unexpectedly. And then also, um, the the fact that you bring up, you know, WWE doesn't take care of these people, it's because they don't care. They're independent contractors. They're not they're not employees. We're gonna tell you exactly what you have to do, what you can do, what you're allowed to do, but you're not an employee with us. You're an independent yeah, contractor. Yeah, independent so we contractor. don't have to take care of you when it comes to this. That's all your travel expenses, your medical expenses, those are all on you, buddy. Which Which is absolutely crazy it's to me. Insane to me. And I also think too, it it it's gotten to the point where, you know, in the beginning, especially like in the NFL, when, you know, murmurings of the effects of CTE kind of came to the surface and, you know, the NFL tried as they might to, you know, sort of like suffocate and push that down um, to not, you know, basically hold any sort of responsibility for so, that. There's a bad turn of phrase there with the suffocating. <laughs> yeah, my apologies. But uh, it, now in this modern world, you know, we're basically like a decade into, you know, this CTE research and concussion research and, you know, exactly the cause and the effects. And so it's, it's kind of crazy to me that they still um, don't take any sort of accountability for no. this. But I feel well, as though... They've, they've taken a little, I'd say, because they've, thank God, banned straight headshots with chairs. And I mean, kendo sticks, they still allow, but those aren't nearly as hard. They bend on, like, a steel chair. Um, but Chris Benoit, unfortunately, was the kind of idiot that would take a straight chair shot, multiple straight chair shots, to the front of the head, the side yeah. of the head, the back of the head. And, I mean, I remember watching some of his matches after the fact and being like, gee, this is why. Yeah, he, absolutely. I was at WrestleMania 21, and he did a um, diving headbutt, which is also just an incredibly dangerous move to do off the top rope alone, but he did it off the top of, like, a 10-foot ladder. Of course you're going to get some fucking concussion. Yeah. You're banging your head into someone else from that far, and you're not putting your hands up. You're just straight up arms out, head yeah. into other head, or head into the mat, for God's sakes, or sometimes head into a steel chair. So there's just... It's like, it's like no wonder this dude's brain was talcum powder. Yeah, at, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I kind of had this sort of epiphany as I was writing all of this down, and I was like, you know, imagine for a moment if this, you know, sort of tragedy were to happen in 2017 instead of 2007, and, you know, with all of this evidence that we have today of brain damage, you know, what sort of reporting would the media do, and, you know, what sort of actions would WWE take differently, and would they still, would they still try to avoid responsibility, or would the responsibility be undeniable? And, you know, with the existence of social media today and how opinionated, you know, wrestling fans are and the, their ability to sort of influence WWE's actions, um, it would be interesting today to see them, you know, if they were to still try to, like, scapegoat and get out of this sort of responsibility that they hold for, um, you know, not only this man's life and his career, but uh, unfortunately his untimely death. Yeah, um, I think it would be... I mean, I'd never want to see it ever again, but yeah. it would be different to see 
I think. I, the one that always pissed me off was the media um, coverage of, oh, it was steroids. Like, man, if you're, if you're that stupid to just blame steroids, even though Vince McMahon literally almost went to prison for 10 years because of a steroid scandal in the 90s, like, he didn't care in the 80s and early 90s, but he sure as fuck cared after that. Yeah. And granted, he didn't always take care of his people, but he made sure that if you were on steroids, you were suspended, you were fined, you were even fired. Like, steroids are not a thing, at least in professional wrestling anymore, on the on the main stuff. They might be elsewhere. That's none of my business. Yeah. But he takes steroids very seriously. He has fined and fired and suspended so many people for them. So there there are other supplements that don't show up in their testing. Some things I believe Chris Benoit might have been on. But for the most part, he's no one's injecting themselves in the ass with a needle any longer. Yeah. Well, and, and I, I do want to take a, a moment to, you know, really discuss, you know, this sort of agency that, you know, or lack thereof that Chris Benoit had, you know, in his role and in this time. So I just really want to set the stage for you that in his career and him coming up and eventually becoming champion was not an easy path. And for somebody who is of a shorter stature, during this time of, you know, not only do you have to be the buffest, but you have to be the tallest and the biggest and the most mighty, that, you know, shorter guys like Chris Benoit, like Chris Jericho, like Eddie Guerrero, were really at a sort of disadvantage when it came to trying to accelerate their career. So when you finally are able to accelerate your career to a certain point where you are getting the accolades and you are getting the championships, when people... Like, you know, back in his days in ECW where Paul Heyman quite literally coined him as Crippler Benoit. When you're put in that sort of limelight and in that sort of position and, um, you know, that are being basically portrayed as this certain type of person, you don't have a lot of agency to be able to go against that. And that is the reason why I believe that, like, yeah, not do I think that steroids were the sole reason for his actions? No. But do I think that just the sheer societal pressure and, um, you know, the basically the wrestling environment pressure that he was experiencing, um, being at an initial disadvantage as a short wrestler to then, you know, try to stay on top as this champion to, you know, then have to, you know, almost in a way being not forced, but like sort of like nudge, nudge kind of forced to take steroids because... You know, in that sort of mindset, you're going to be like, okay, well, if I want to stay champion and I want to, you know, be this sort of big buff guy, if I'm short, like, I got to make up for that and how buff I am and how strong I am. And so... Which doesn't make sense to me because, I mean, obviously it's way different now than it was when he started his career. But even at that time, guys like Bret Hart, guys like Shawn Michaels, guys like Mr. Perfect were becoming more prevalent and more trusted. And they're not big dudes. I mean, they're buff, but they're not massive yeah but i think what you lack in you know sort of a a very specific you know angle or very specific role or very specific character that you're playing if you're just like you know chris benoit for example like he you know while he was a very technically skilled wrestler and was very great it's not like he had any sort of other angle other than being he didn't have a good person really brutal (laughs) and buff kind of dude you know at least you know all of the other ones that you had mentioned had some sort of like Thing that set them apart that you know made up for not being the buffest not being the tallest not mm-hmm. being the biggest um on top of the fact that they're all yeah. all very technically it's, skilled it's wrestlers. really unfortunate that he was friends with guys like chris jericho and eddie guerrero who are not only great wrestlers but also just fantastic personalities and benoit is just like a, i'm getting the ring and beat the shit out of you yeah and i'm like <laughs> 
That's cool. Exactly. But it also doesn't bring a lot to the table. Exactly. And the reason why I wanted to mention agency is because I feel like in these situations when we choose to, you know, either idolize or demonize somebody that we don't, if you don't understand the full story and the full context of the environment in which they're in, their upbringing and how they got to the point that they were in, um, and if you don't take agency into, you know, accountability, it's very easy to quickly demonize somebody and just, like, put them away and, you know, sort of shove them away as, like, oh, like, you're this awful person, so I'm not only not going to humanize you, but I'm also just going to just, you know, wrap it up in a nice, neat little package with a bow on it and say, you suck, and right. so... Yeah, I don't uh, know. Not to harp on him again, but Chris Jericho is just the person I've heard talk about this the most. He's got an amazing podcast with Chavo Guerrero that I believe came out in 2017 on his Talk is Jericho. That's like two and a half hours long, and yeah. it's fantastic. Please go listen to that, um, because they both obviously know him far better than we ever will. Um, but listening to Chris Jericho speak about how it's a shame that He's had all these great matches, not only with Jericho himself, but Kurt Angle, Eddie Guerrero, Triple H, Shawn Michaels, Kane, Edge, MVP, yeah. JBL. And that's just in his WWE career. I'm not talking about his WCW stuff. And while it's available to see, it's kind of lost to the ether in a way because it's not promoted. It's not remembered. There's even, I'd argue, his one of his best moments in 20, 2004 when Chris Benoit started the Royal Rumble at number one. And went on to win the thing. Yeah. And they'll do the whole Royal Rumble by the numbers thing. And we'll Granted, now Edge, Edge has won it, so three guys have won. But let's say before that, they'll be like, two people have won the Royal Rumble at number one. One of them being Shawn Michaels. And you can't even say yeah. who the second person is, even yeah. though we know, but you can't say it. Randy Orton, legend. One of the best like company guys through and through. Who beat? Who did he beat for his first world title? Exactly. Chris Benoit. Exactly. You can't say that. The There's an old joke going on the internet where it's just like, Oh, I love when uh, Triple H and Shawn Michaels fought for the world title at WrestleMania and then it became vacant afterwards. Like, it's not funny, but also at the same time, it's like, yeah, because Benoit won. Yeah, it's just so sorely disappointing because you have to really walk this fine line that I believe that WWE has not been able to do successfully where you can sit down and say, like, yeah, this person did terrible things. And, you know, whether it was totally in their control or not... This is what they did. However, to completely go out of their way to sort of rewrite history um, in a way to try to sort of, you know, sort of disinclude him entirely and the existence of him entirely. Like, I just feel as though anybody who is younger than I, um, because like I said, this was one of those like first moments as yeah, a you, consistent you were like, wrestling what, fan. Nine? Yeah. That, you know, this came into the headlines and I was so totally shocked by. It. But of course, you know, me watching wrestling somewhat before that, I was like, Oh, I know who Chris Benoit is. Like, this is crazy, this is terrible. But anybody who's any younger than me probably has no idea who he is. Yeah. And although he did terrible things and that does not take away from the atrocities he, he committed against his family and the fact that he you know, basically ruined his whole family's life and his surviving son's life. Um, it doesn't take away from the fact that he was such an integral part of wrestling and, you know, what would become wrestling history of that time. And so it's just an absolute shame to me. And it would honestly, like, to put it in sort of a historical perspective, it would just be like 
almost, for example, like, writing out, like, Andrew Jackson out of history. Like, we all know that Andrew Jackson is a terrible person, did terrible things to Native Americans, was just an awful, awful, awful person. And do I think that he, um, you know, deserves a spot on uh, what was, what is it, like, the $20 bill? No, absolutely not. But He's important to history. Exactly. He is so important to understanding what this nation's atrocities against uh, you know native americans is and was and what happened and why they happened the way that they did and mm-hmm. so i think that to you know to to completely shove that person out of the picture it would then all of those events would not make any sort of sense in any sort of context right. so it's just kind of crazy to me that wwe is like oh yeah you know what in order to just like wash our hands completely of this and to not take any sort of responsibility for this we're just going to totally just cut him out of everything yeah and i got that you you brought up David um, Benoit, his his son through a previous marriage, um, whose name is actually David Chris Benoit. That's his middle name, and that poor kid, man, he's just he's probably traumatized because yeah. not only did is his father dead and did he kill his stepmother and his stepbrother, but I mean that's a seven year old kid. That's your little brother. Yeah, and that's hard. Um, he wants to become a wrestler, but there's this whole stigma. Like I'm Chris Benoit's kid. Do I really want to do this? Exactly. And then not only that, but you have to feel the dark side of the ring episode brought up Nancy's family and she is, or not she, they, they really focused on her main sister. I I tried to Wikipedia it. I couldn't find her name, but she's obviously devastated. She obviously speaks with Daniel or sorry, David Benoit, which I think is incredibly sweet and big in both of them. Um, but she says the only representative WWE sent to Nancy's funeral was Jim Ross, which is not Jim Ross's fault at all, but, you know, there could have been a little bit of representation there. And that's absolutely crazy to me because although she was a part of WCW, like, she is also a very integral part of women's wrestling and the yeah. history of women's wrestling. She was wrestling. a great valet. She was and a badass. it's so crazy to me that, like, even when they do mention the greats of women's wrestling... Um, especially after, you know, of course, we, as we know now, WWE acquired all of WCW and all of their material. And ECW, which she was also and a ECW, part of. ECW, yes, thank you. Um, and so when WWE talks about, you know, the historical parts of wrestling, and especially when it came to, you know, in 2018, um, the, the women's, like, evolution, like, that pay-per-view, and then that, basically that whole year was celebrating women's wrestling and women wrestlers and to, for them to not even, ev- I feel like they hardly ever m- mentioned Nancy and her role yeah. in, in women's wrestling. And I feel like the Dark Side of the Ring actually did touch on that very well. Because right. this was a part of it that I hadn't even considered before. And I've heard the story of Chris Benoit's life over and over and over again. And I've consumed it so many times. But you forget about Nancy sometimes. You forget about Nancy. And the crazy thing is, is that like she didn't do anything wrong. Nope. She was the one that got murdered. And yeah. so just because she was, you know, like attached to Chris Benoit and this way by being his wife like just just because of that and that he did terrible things that they for whatever reason don't want to include her either because if they were to do that then for whatever reason they feel like they would have to mention him as well which is totally not the case especially when it comes to just talking about very impactful women in uh, in wrestling history it's just it's crazy to me right i agree well as we look like we're wrapping up here i do i know on the main podcast when we review and I take the lead on the matches, you you usually ask me a question. So I think on these, when you take the lead, these are kind of your brainchild, I want to ask you a question. So, it's one that's been debated for 13 years, 14 years. He's one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. He's also kind of a monster in his last three days. It's never going to happen, 
but do you agree that Chris Benoit should never be in the WWE Hall of Fame? Um, yeah, I don't think that he should ever be included in the Hall of Fame. In the same, in the same instance that I, you know, sort of mentioned um, Andrew Jackson and the reason why I don't believe that he should be on the $20 bill, I don't think these men should be celebrated any sort, in any sort of way. I just simply believe that they, you know, deserve that sort of recognition because of their place in history. I think that if he was a wrestler that, you know, didn't have such a sex- successful career and wasn't so you know, overly involved in becoming a champion and holding these titles and, you know, basically shaping all these other people's careers. Like, I don't think that he would be worth recognizing, but I think that because of his absolutely illustrious career, that he should at least be, you know, mentioned, but, like, not not in, like, a Hall of Fame celebratory sort of way. I agree. I think the stigma of putting him in the Hall of Fame is just too much. Jim Ross said, basically what I'm saying, He's one of the greatest. I will yeah. always respect the man for his ring work, but putting him in any sort of wrestling hall of fame, not just the WWE, but any kind of wrestling hall of fame, it's just it's it's a little too much. It's inappropriate. And it's for sure. it's not just inappropriate to like that hall of fame specifically, but also to Nancy's family and his family. Yeah, absolutely. Will be like, oh, he's great, but he also killed a seven year old. Do I think that wife. Nancy should be included in a hall of fame? Yeah, absolutely. That would be a little absolutely easier pill to swallow. But for sure. No, I agree. So. Yeah, that's our Chris Benoit episode. Absolutely. This is our first one. Um, we probably won't announce too many more of these um, leading up, but we will announce the next one's episode that we're going to do. And I know you're very excited for this one. I'm because so excited about this we're covering is a pioneer in wrestling. And Olivia, who are we covering at the next time we do Absolutely. a Life of? Absolutely. So the next time we do a Life of episode, we will be covering China, um, one of the most illustrious and momentous Porn stars. Um, <laughs> women's wrestlers <laughs> In the industry, um, like I said at the beginning of this podcast, I was super into um, the history, like gender and sexuality in history. And like I said, I did cover a lot of um, wrestling and wrestlers in particular. And she's the one that I have talked about time and time again, not only because she's broken so many barriers, but on the flip side of that, she was also treated very poorly, which just shows you the sort of double-edged sword that you have when you are a female wrestler or really just any woman who goes into a male-dominated field. And so um, I would love to talk about her next time. I feel like this episode, like that next episode, will just be a little bit more celebratory. Definitely um, still looking at these lives in a critical lens but in sort of a different way yeah. um because i will again be very critical not only not not of her specifically but of the way in which she was treated um by vince mcmahon by wwe um and by others in the Co- locker room cody so. rhodes if you're still listening just because you think i shit on you a lot don't worry next time when we do the china <laughs> one we'll be shitting on triple h and stephanie a little bit so. absolutely but uh yeah, that's basically that's basically our episode. Yeah. I hope that you all sort of like this different style of episode that we did. And uh, please definitely show your support. Definitely give this one some listens so we know that you like it. Um, but without further ado, we'll we'll see you next time. Yeah, we we'll, we'll, we're gonna sprinkle these in with our main review. So this will be between Revolution twenty twenty and ironically AEW Revolution twenty twenty one. But look forward to listen to the Revolution episode, obviously, and then listen to. The following revolution episode next week, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see you then, guys. See ya.